Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is Sandra Geisler, and she is the Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And Sandra joined us several years ago, and it has been such a gift to have someone that can walk into our client meetings and really evaluate tax situations to make sure that all the decisions that we are making and the planning that we are doing are really in alignment with what's best for them, not only on an investment piece, but also on a tax piece. And of course, this year with COVID, we have seen so many things change. I mean, we've got the 70 and a half rule. We've also got the timing for filing taxes. And so I thought that it would be really important to ask Sandra to sit down with us and to go over some of the changes that she has seen, some of the questions that she's been getting from our clients in, in just in direct reference to taxation. And nobody likes to pay too much tax. And then again, you know, some of us are going to be earning less this year. So there might be some advantages there. So welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. You know, Sandra, I had just mentioned that so much has changed and people are confused as to how the rules might impact them. Could you go over some of the changes that we're seeing? Oh, absolutely. So I think one of the things that we want to start with for sure is the deadline extension. So when all of the, uh, the world started shutting down, rightfully decided that it was going to be a little bit too uh, difficult for everybody to get home. In addition to that, you know, the IRS shut down as well. For the most part, they sent people home. So it was really impossible for individuals to be able to questions or have that help filing. Uh, What they did was they extended the tax filing deadline until July 15th. So that includes uh, individual tax returns. It includes corporate returns. One of the really important things about that is that there's no interest or penalties. If you have any kind of a balance due, those will all be negated, as well as the Wisconsin Department of Revenue. No issues if you're owing taxes. Um, And then our second quarter would be due June 15th. Both of those have been extended to July 5th. Who's making their tax payments on a quarterly basis is going to make a sort of a double payment on July 15th. Um, But that's, that's important also from a perspective of people who are taking money out of their savings or out of their investment portfolios to make those tax payments. 
as we know, there's been a lot of market volatility. So it's really a nice uh, ability for us to be able to extend. For those of us preparing taxes, we were real happy to get that extension as well. Everything is going to be good. If you can't get your taxes filed by that July 15th deadline, we still have an opportunity to file extensions. Uh, so those would be required to be actually filed with the IRS up until that October 15th to file returns. But any balance due um, will be due as of July 15th. After that date, interest and penalties will start to accrue. Sandra, I know that you've been working with our clients and you've been talking to clients on the phone and really help that, helping them to navigate these changes. But what about so many people that aren't able to meet with or talk with their accountants? And, you know, and then there's people, maybe an accountant that's gotten sick and hasn't been able to work. What type of ramifications and what can people do if, if that type of situation comes up? Yeah, that's, that's difficult. And honestly, that's really another one of the really good reasons why they extended things. And, and as I said, you still have the opportunity to extend past that July 15th deadline. You can't get a hold of any individual people yet. There are preparers available who, who would be able to help you. Software available for those of you who are uh, do-it-yourselfers. Really, uh, given that we had a three-month extension, uh, most people should be able to get their uh, information filed up until that uh, date. Sandra, one of the other changes has been the required minimum distribution for individuals. Could you go into some detail on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, sometime around the end of March, March 26th, I believe, we uh, enacted the CARES Act. Really the, the main focus of that was economic stimulus and economic recovery, trying to, to bolster up the economy when everything was sort of shutting down. Um, and one of the things that happened um, with regard to the CARES Act was that all of the required minimum distributions for 2020 were eliminated. So what that means is for retirees who are over the age of 70 and a half, who have started their RMDs, they did not need to take it. You do, know, do not any longer need to take from your retirement account. Part of that, and a big part of that, was again the fact that some portfolios were down and uh, they felt that it was an undue burden on those retirees to have to sell more shares to take those distributions out. They're based on the value of your IRAs or 401ks on December 31st of the prior year. Well, of course, the market was considerably higher at that point than it was in March or April. And so they eliminated those RMDs, uh, not only for retirees, but anyone who has a beneficiary IRA. Those uh, have been eliminated as well. So uh, from a planning perspective, if those distributions have already been taken um, and you're within the 60-day window, we do have a 60-day rule that if you, you want to put that money back into your IRA, uh, you still can do that. You would just need to reach out to your advisor and you could potentially roll that, those funds back, but you do only have a 60-day window. So if you are on the ball in January or February, unfortunately, you're probably past that. For many people, it might make sense to, to roll that back. Well, if, if a lot of people are not being required to take that required minimum distribution, it could mean that their income, their taxable income is going to be substantially less this year. What are some of the things such as um, maybe converting some of their um, 
IRA to a Roth IRA, this might be a good year to do something like that. I think that's, a, I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah. So one of the things that we do here at Ellen Becker Investment Group with our clients is really watch their total income and uh, look for any opportunities we have to either do those Roth conversions or those distributions, especially if their income is down this year and they're still in a lower tax rate. One of the things that I think people often forget is that when you are taking a required minimum distribution, or if you're taking money out of your IRA, you will have to pay generally, well, always you'll pay tax on it, but you don't have to take cash out. You can always move an investment over into your trust account or take it that way. And now is a good time to, if you are going to move money over for any reason, it might make sense to move over something that is really um, valued less than normal because you're moving it over with a, a lower cost basis. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what that allows us to do when the market's down is we can move less shares, um, move that, as you said, either into a Roth IRA or a taxable account. And then as that market comes back, those shares are going to be worth more in those uh, tax-advantaged accounts. So that's a great strategy. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. She is the Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And when we come back, we'll look at some more good tax planning strategies. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And I am so happy that I have this opportunity with Money Sense to really be able to redirect and re kind of distribute the information that we have been doing on Money Sense in the past and really taking a look at meaningful conversations that have a purpose around all of the issues that COVID-19 has sort of wrestled up and we've been listening to on the news and it's sort of sensationalized and it's very hard to really understand what the impact is on us as individuals. And I've been saying on the air that trying to get information from the news and the media is like trying to take a drink from a fire hose, which is almost virtually impossible. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. She is the Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. She works with our clients to make sure that we are really giving the best possible advice that we can, both on investments as well as combining it with tax planning. And at the end of the break, Sandra, we talked about the 70 and a half and people don't have to take it this year, but a lot of people People still continue to do gifting. And can you talk about the importance of considering looking at your IRA as the place to start gifting? Yes, I think that's a, that's a great uh, strategy because uh, when you are gifting to charitable organizations, if you're over 70 and a half, the, the best place to take those funds from is really your IRA. We have, a, we have a wonderful opportunity called Qualified Charitable Distributions. And the way that those distributions work is that you can give money directly from your IRA to the cha your charity of choice. And in essence, that distribution never really hits your tax return. As you said in the last segment, all of the distributions that you do or conversions are taxable income. But if you're giving that, those funds away, um, and it comes directly out of your IRA without you taking possession of it, you can uh, virtually eliminate that from your, uh, your taxable income and your gross income, which 
has an impact also on your Medicare premiums. So we love to see our retirees who have those RMDs. Of course, we don't have one this year, but you still have the opportunity to give from the IRA directly to your charities. And I'm glad that you brought up the charitable giving because one of the other uh, aspects of the CARES Act uh, was a, uh, a small ability to give uh, above the line, we call it. So that means typically charitable giving, if we're not doing qualified charitable distributions, we have to itemize our deductions in order to get any kind of a tax benefit for our charitable giving. Um, and as you uh, are probably aware, in 2018, we had some pretty sweeping tax legislation that caused many of us not to itemize deductions anymore. Uh, the standard deduction is considerably higher, and so many of us are not getting any kind of tax benefit for our charitable giving. The CARES Act allows us to take a deduction of up to $300 for charitable giving this year uh, above the line, which again means we don't have to itemize deductions to do that. So uh, if, if the virus is tugging at your heartstrings a little bit um, and you want to give to you know, your local food pantry or any other organization that's that's helping out, especially people who um, are affected by the virus, up to $300 will be subtracted from your income when we file your 2020. Sandra, I know that student loans and kids are really worried about that. Also loans from 401ks and retirement accounts. Can you talk a little bit about that and how people should be thinking about that? Yeah, so that, there's two kind of aspects there that we want to, to look at. First of all, uh, student loan debt, uh, the uh, interest on those and the payments on those. Uh, there was a deferment as part of the CARES Act. Um, I believe that goes out uh, through uh, September of this year. So uh, especially uh, our young people who have um, either had their work plans delayed or uh, you know, certainly graduations delayed, things like that. Uh, they've gotten a little bit of relief with their student loans. Um, and then maybe even a larger uh, uh, opportunity that we have, again, as a result of the CARES Act, is that uh, individuals who are affected by the COVID-19 have the ability to uh, draw out of their IRAs or their 401ks without penalty. So typically we would see uh, a 10% penalty for folks who are under the age of 59 and a half to draw out of their retirement accounts. Um, if they can prove that they were affected by the virus, uh, they are being allowed to take up to $100,000 out of those accounts in 2020. Um, and maybe as important as being able to distribute without penalty, they um, are given the opportunity to basically borrow those funds and they can repay them right back into those accounts uh, over the next three years. Um, and so if you need some short-term cash, um, but things come back, you know, within the next year or two, and you want to replace those funds back into your retirement account, uh, you will be allowed to put those funds back in there. Um, I do also want to, uh, you know, let people know that that will require that they amend their tax returns. Uh, the distribution will be taxable in 2020, but if those funds are repaid, say, in 2021 or 2022, they would uh, have to amend their 2020 tax returns. Um, if they decide that they want to not repay those funds, um, they are allowed to 
to uh, rateably include that income over a three-year period. Um, and so that kind of helps uh, from a tax planning perspective, kind of uh, smooth out that income a little bit and potentially have that distribution taxed at a little bit lower rate. So it's a nice opportunity for people who, who potentially have been furloughed or who have lost their job uh, and have some short-term cash needs. What about the um, financing that the government has been giving to a variety of um, different ways, the PPP and there's unemployment, how is that going to affect people's taxes this year? Yeah, so the, the PPP is the Payroll Protection Program, um, and that's specifically for small business people um, who, who want to be able to keep people on their payroll. So um, on, on a higher level, the government wanted to get some funds to the small business people who are employing people um, and keep them on the payroll. Um, and so the PPP uh, is on its second phase right now. Uh, I believe the first phase was $350 million of funds and they used that up in about two weeks. So it was a very popular program. Uh, and primarily um, those small businesses were required to uh, use 75% of those proceeds uh, to keep people on their payroll and the remaining proceeds they could use to kind of keep the business going in terms of administrative expenses. Um, if they follow all the rules, um, those loans will be forgiven for them um, and it will not be part of their taxable income. So uh, on an individual level though, there was some uh, additional benefit provided by the CARES Act um, with regard to who was eligible to collect unemployment benefits. Um, so traditionally, folks uh, like independent contractors, those who are self-employed, part-time workers, uh, gig workers, uh, all of those people were not eligible for unemployment benefits, but were uh, made eligible under the CARES Act. Um, and then the federal government, in addition to whatever they would be uh, eligible to be, uh, the benefit they would receive on the state level, the federal government kicked in an additional $600 per week on top of those state benefits. Uh, so again, that's a huge boost to the folks who, who were furloughed or lost their jobs due to the virus. Um, additionally, the length of time that they are allowed to receive those benefits was increased by 13 weeks. So instead of the traditional 26 weeks of unemployment, um, they will be receiving those weeks uh, those benefits for 39 weeks. So uh, that, that was a, a, a big part of the CARES Act. Um, I should also let people know, uh, of course, that unemployment benefits are taxable. Um, and so if you are receiving those additional benefits, um, it will hit your tax return and there will be a, a federal and likely a state tax liability associated with those increased benefits. When, when you talk about um, some of the things, the money that's being distributed to us as individuals, and that falls onto our, our tax return, what about the people who have been uh, making masks and they've been restaurants that have been making dinners and giving them to people? Is there a way that you can deduct the materials or you can use that as a tax deduction since you pretty much gave them away or how would that work? 
Because a lot of people have been doing, you know, I always say when you lift up others, you lift up yourself and people have been doing a lot of generosity and helping people. Is that just a given away or is there something that can be tax impacted by that? Yeah, nothing, nothing has changed on the tax side with regard to how, uh, how those would be uh, viewed from a charitable giving perspective. Um, certainly if businesses are, are preparing uh, meals or doing uh, things within the scope of their business, those materials would be considered business expenses and would be deductible um, as part of the business. Uh, time is never a deduction with regard to charitable giving. Um, uh, so I, I like to say, even though we're not gonna get a tax benefit, uh, we're gonna get our benefits in heaven for all of our, our uh, good works on that, so. Feed our souls, feed our that's souls. That's right, that's right. Sandra, when, when we come back, could we talk a little bit about, all of a sudden now, everybody has home offices and they're not working in their offices, their businesses. Should people be tracking that? Is that got any impact at all? Now that it's, you know, we've converted to home offices and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. She is the director of tax planning for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And, you know, just like in our business, Sandra, we're everybody for what almost two and a half months three months worked from home and we didn't have anybody in our office what is the impact on business owners with their employees not any longer being on premises and what is the impact for employees who are saying well now all of a sudden i've got a home office <laughs> yeah that's that's going to be really interesting as you said uh i can't i can't even begin to imagine exponentially how many more people had home offices this year uh unfortunately in 2018 when the tax law changed uh home offices for employees uh was a miscellaneous deduction that was eliminated from the tax code so on an individual basis, employees are not allowed to deduct anything for their home offices if, if they are considered employees of somebody else. If they are uh, self-employed people, we have a couple of different uh, opportunities for home office deductions. The same rules apply with regard to um, exclusive use and regular use of those spaces. Um, but if you're filing a Schedule C or an 1120S, we still have an opportunity to take uh, some of those home office expenses as um, as deductions um, on an employee on an employer level um, it'll be interesting to see how employers uh, handle that um, I know uh, anecdotally the couple of people that I've talked to uh, their employers kind of right from the get-go came out and said uh, you're sort of on your own uh, you should have internet already at your house uh, put up a card table and do your work and uh, we'll see you back at the office when everything is is good. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we have not really talked about is the economic impact um, from the COVID-19. Can you go into a little bit of detail on that? Yeah, that, that was uh, the government's way of, of directly trying to get some funds into the hands of individuals. Um, most people at this point have received their economic impact payment, um, also known as the economic stimulus payment or the rebate recovery payment. All of those are that same, uh, that same funding. Um, and so adults were eligible to receive up to $1,200 uh, 
Um, and then if you had children 16 or under who were claimed as dependents on your return, um, that was an additional $500. So uh, a married couple would have received $2,400 and single people up to $1,200. There were some income uh, thresholds associated with that payment. Uh, so single people had to make um, under $99,000 on their tax return. That would be their adjusted gross income. Um, and a married couple filing jointly would have had to have made under $198,000. If you made more than that on your tax return for either 2018 or 2019, you did not receive the payment. Um, and it was interesting, again, because these payments were scheduled to go out sort of mid-tax season. Some people had already filed 2019's returns and some people had not. Um, and so there was sort of a cutoff point where the IRS said, all right, if you haven't filed 2019 yet, we're gonna look at your income for 2018. Um, if you file 2019, we're going to look at that. There's a whole segment of the population as well that don't file tax returns. Um, for example, there are retirees who have uh, not much more income than their social security and don't have a filing requirement. Uh, so there's a lot of people who uh, don't file tax returns, and uh, those people are eligible to receive the payment as well. They pull from the social security records to uh, find their banking information and their income levels. Um, so at this point, the IRS has sent out about 150 million payments. Um, I know a lot of people are still waiting for their payments, but a lot of people have gotten them. And uh, if you know anything about the IRS, they don't move very quickly. Um, and so for them to be able to, you know, pass the CARES Act at the end of uh, March um, and to have 150 million payments out by the end of May is quite an accomplishment for the IRS. Um, in addition to that, they also put up a whole uh, web page called Get My Payment where folks could go in to kind of look to see what the status of their payment was or to give them updated address information. Um, if they wanted those payments sent by direct deposit, they had an opportunity to provide their banking information. So, you know, in essence, I think they did a fairly good job. Um, it will take them probably through the end of June to continue to send those checks out to people. Um, and then uh, after that, checks will uh, sort of trickle out, probably through year end. Um, about a week ago, the IRS announced that they were going to start sending debit cards cards um, instead of checks. Uh, so there's a segment of the population, four or five million people or so, that will be receiving debit cards along with instructions on how to use those debit cards. Um, one of the things I really wanted to stress about the economic impact payment is that it actually is a credit uh, for 2020. It's a 2020 tax credit that they're sort of sending you early. Um, so what's gonna happen is if, for example, on your 2019 tax return, you, uh, you got a big bonus, let's say in 2019, and then unfortunately you got furloughed in 2020. And so you're gonna have a, a decrease in income considerably from the prior year. When 2020 tax return is filed in the spring of 2021, that credit is going to be available. So if you did not receive the full amount of the payment now, you will be eligible to have that credited towards your tax liability on your 2020 tax return uh, or have it refunded to you. So um, 
That's for people who either didn't get any payment at all because of their income or got a partial payment because they were in the, you know, within that income threshold bracket. Um, so that's an important thing for people to remember, especially if they're self-filing next year, uh, to watch to see if they can make up that payment. Of course, through this time period, a lot of people have passed away. And if those checks come to those people who have passed away or you get a check for some reason um, isn't yours, they can't be cashed. No, no. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's actually been an issue. Um, I'm not exactly sure why it's an issue because when tax returns are filed, the IRS knows that uh, somebody passed away and obviously they have social security records. Um, I can give you a story. Uh, my stepmother uh, passed away about 18 months ago um, and that was the last tax return that was filed prior to the um, uh, payments going out. And my father did receive the full amount um, of the check and right on the check, it said that she was deceased. So it was, it was very odd, but, but the rule is if the payment is received prior to passing, then the, uh, the payment can be uh, kept. If the, if the uh, taxpayer passed away prior to receiving the payment, uh, then it does need to be returned. Um, if, if it's a joint check, so a, a married couple got a $2,400 check, obviously they need to cash that, um, but they do need to return $1,200 if one of the spouses uh, passed away. Yes. So there is uh, instruction um, on the IRS website on how to do that. Um, in addition, if, it's, if it, it is just a check to one individual and that individual has passed away, um, many of the checks that have been received via the mail have a check box right at the, on the envelope that says return to sender, the uh, taxpayer has uh, passed away. So there's a few different ways to remedy that, um, but you are correct. You are not allowed to keep it if the taxpayer passed away prior to receiving the payment. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. Sandra is the Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about, we mentioned this could be a good tax year to be looking at doing some conversions, but it's also a year where the interest rates on on borrowing money is really low. And a lot of times people wonder, should I pay off my house? Or if I'm selling my house, I'm buying something else. And one of the things, Sandra, that you work very closely with all of our advisors is that type of planning on determining what is the best way to make a purchase. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. She is the director of tax planning for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. One of the things, Sandra, that I, I, I encourage my clients to have almost across the board is that they have a home equity line of credit. And right now the interest rates are so low and it, it's kind of a, a crazy time because banks are closed, but believe it or not, you still can um, reach out to the bank and you can refinance on mortgages. You can do a home equity line of credit. And just very briefly, the, one of the reasons that I look at the home equity lines of credit is it's not a place that I encourage people to spend from, but it's a good emergency fund and it, it limits the, um, 
having to keep too much cash on hand. But where I've seen it really be effective now is there are so many parents that are wanting to help their children and their kids aren't getting paid. You've got these wonderful little grandkids. You don't want them to lose their house. And it's a great lending vehicle and they can pay you back by just paying you whatever's being paid on that note until they can fully pay it back as one piece. But the other piece with people who have so much in retirement accounts, I like to think of investments for my clients in three buckets. There's the taxable, there's the tax-free, which is more often than not the Roth IRA. IRA, and then there's the tax deferred. And one of the most important things in retirement is to not give Uncle Sam too much. And one of the ways that you can do that, instead of taking everything out of an IRA, very often we can use a home equity loan to take some money out in a year that you have a major expense, like this year, and we can pay it back in another tax year. So right. Can you talk about a few of the things that are important around these low interest rates and how people might want to be able to help their children? We can almost think of that home equity line of credit as the fourth bucket, can't we? Because we've got, we've got the ability to draw funds from there. If it doesn't make sense from a tax perspective or a portfolio perspective, you know, the market's been down. Do we really want to draw money out of our portfolio now to sell things at a loss? Um, so I think it's a great opportunity uh, for, like you said, helping out your kids. I, I met with um, uh, some folks recently whose, whose kids' business was struggling, um, and they, they wanted to help, but taking it out of the tax-deferred accounts really has a negative tax impact for them. Uh, so being able to draw from those home equity line of credit um, really gives us an opportunity to um, uh, manage our tax situation uh, as well as well as helping out the kids. So I, I love the idea of being able to do that. Uncle Sam, on the other hand, doesn't love it quite as well. We used to be able to get a little bit of a tax benefit for the interest that we were paying. Um, and as you mentioned, the interest rates are low right now, um, but we are still paying a little bit of interest on those uh, on those draws. So. Um, Unfortunately, if we're not using those funds to substantially improve our primary residence, uh, the interest payments are not deductible anymore. So um, still a nice vehicle to be able to, to help people out, especially in this, uh, this crisis time, um, but we're not getting the tax benefits we used to be able to get from that. But it does give us the liquidity and another option to help out children or, you know, to be able to have a little bit more cash flow, particularly now when so many people are struggling with that whole idea of cash flow. The other thing I wanted to talk about today was um, doing family foundations. And I know last year we had several clients that set that up. They're very inexpensive to do. And I was talking to one of my clients this morning. He contributed um, I believe what it was, was highly appreciated stock into a foundation. And now he will not do any gifting for the next three or four years. He did it all in one year so he could take the deduction. Could you explain that? I'm sure you could do it a lot better than I just did. <laughs> I, love, I love that uh, tax strategy. And, and basically it comes down to the year that we make the large donation to that family foundation uh, or donor advised fund is the year that we're going to itemize deductions. Um, and again, we've got a really large standard deduction right now. So if we were to give that in that example that you gave, if we were to do $10,000 a year over five years, 
we would really get no tax get no tax benefit for that charitable giving. By giving $50,000 in one year, we're able to itemize deductions and see a significant tax savings. So uh, in the opposite years, then we take that large standard deduction and over time, we really have reduced our tax liability over the course of those years. People who want to give, and that's a wonderful thing, also thinking about what's the best tax strategy of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a good year because without an RMD requirement this year, um, we could fund those uh, donor advised funds this year um, because we can't do it directly from our RMD, but we can do it over and above the RMD. So this yes. might be a golden opportunity this year uh, to fund those, uh, those donor advised funds. And, and that's the strategy that's going forward. And of course, what we always want to be doing is forward thinking. So one of the other things that um, I think is really important is to um, talk about just, it's always important to keep really good records, but this seems to be a messy year, Sandra. Yes. <laughs> this is absolutely a messy year, but we've all had a lot of time at home, right? So we've, we've spent a lot of time organizing our closets and our, our tax records. And I'm confident next year when I see people's tax records that they are going to be in stellar order because everyone's had so much time at home. And what we want, and we always say at Ellen Becker, is that we want people to sleep at night. And tax should not be keeping you up at night because there are some really great strategies to talk about in terms of your individual portfolios. So when you listen to the news and you hear all this and it's sensationalized, and it's big, and it seems really complicated, it's not that complicated when you're working with someone who really understands all the advantages and disadvantages that are out there. So Sandra, what would you, you know, um, say at the end of, we're almost done with our interview, what would you have some last minute thoughts for our listeners and for our clients who are always listening as well? Well, I, I love having the opportunity to work with our clients and talk about tax planning strategies. It, it's such a wonderful addition to, to the overall financial plan. Um, especially in years like this where we, we've, we've been thrown some curveballs, right? Um, but what we want to be able to do is, is take some of the new tax laws, some of the things we've talked about today in the CARES Act, and, and really take advantage of it. So I, I just would encourage our listeners to be as uh, educated as they can be about some of the changes that we've talked about today. Certainly, if you're working with an advisor to you know, reach out to them, um, and talk about maybe some of those opportunities with regard to not having to take RMDs this year, uh, on doing maybe some additional charitable giving because you, uh, your income's down a little bit this year, helping out those folks that maybe need it a little bit more than you do, um, talking about the tax implications of those increased unemployment benefits, um, and certainly we want to take advantage in 2020 of maximizing our economic impact payment. So lots of things to kind of watch for this year, um, but certainly it's, it's going to be an important year to do some really good planning um, and to work closely with your advisors. Don't forget that if you do have losses in your portfolio, you can take those losses now and you can use them to offset taxes, but you can also, if you love it and it's down, you can buy it back in 60 days. Absolutely. Tax loss harvesting is a great strategy given the current market volatility. Um, we'll see what the rest of the year brings, but uh, I think that is, a, is another really good point to talk to your advisor about. 
I know we have looked at every one of our clients' portfolios and made decisions when it was really important to take those tax losses. And now we've got them all down that we're going to buy them back if we like them. My guest today is Sandra Geisler. Sandra is the Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. And Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to be able to um, give some information and strategies for our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.